Hi, Say, welcome. Today I'm joined by Emmett Peppers, and we're going to talk about a whole host of topics from Tesla's AI Day,、um, Tesla's stock options. We're going to go into Palantir, Lemonade,、uh, crypto, a whole host of topics. I can't wait to dive into it with Emmett.、Um, Emmett, welcome、uh, back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm look, looking forward to chat about all these things. I'm always having a good time on, on the Dave Lee、uh, you know, chats here. They're, they're a lot of fun. We've, we've been doing、yeah. a long time together. Definitely. Yeah, I always learn a ton.、Um, yeah, so、um, what's going on?、Um, this week, we've got Tesla AI Day、uh, coming up on Thursday, August so 19th or so.、Um, yeah. What's your take? How significant is this event?、Um, and I guess what a lot of people are asking is does it have any impact, do you think, on Tesla's stock price at all, short term, medium, long term at all? Like, what, what's your、um, kind of take on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you and I have a similar take where we've seen in the past autopilot、uh, or self driving, you know, car day and battery day, and the stock in the past has kind of, been, you know, run up a little bit going into these days. And then, you know, investors or Wall Street, whoever, you know, Doesn't really understand the implications, at least for any short term impact. And so there's a sell off. And, and、uh, I think the same thing could happen with this AI day, although I haven't seen a huge like, run up. I mean, the stock's kind of crept up a little bit, but、um, it doesn't seem like you know, maybe the market, you know, the, 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 the、uh, speculators kind of have learned like, not to buy ahead of this type of event. You know, if, even if you look at the implied volatility. Of some of those options that expire on Friday, there doesn't seem to be especially high, like there's some event this week. So, you know, I'm imagining that、um, maybe it's sort of a non event for the stock, but, you know, I think long term it, it'll ferment our, our belief in the company, which is great for long term holders. But short term, I'm not sure it'll have an effect. I mean, do you think it's going to be similar or what do you think?、Dave? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was thinking like, you know, everyone's kind of expecting it to be a non event because like battery day, autonomy day, you know, it's like sell on the、mm-hmm. news. And so I, I, mean, I would think 80, 90%, yeah, it's a non event. You know, it's more of a recruiting event, long term casting the vision. But then it's just like the more it goes, like the more people expect something to happen, the more skeptical、yeah. I am, you know, that it actually will happen that way. <laughs> But、um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. <laughs>、um, yeah, I mean, we'd love to be wrong and the、mm-hmm. stock to zip up right afterwards. You know, it's possible. Yeah. But,、uh, um, wait, yeah. Um, I, I was watching、um, on your Good Soil channel. Um, you have, I guess, some、uh, options right, for expiring this week.、Um, yeah. Can you explain kind of the thought process? I think you were kind of thinking there was going to be maybe a slight chance of a stock split. And in that case, you know, it could have jumped. But what are you, what, what are you thinking、yeah. right now? Yeah, I mean, I thought、uh, a year ago is when they announced the stock split. You know, it seems like they have their board meetings probably the same time around every year. And there was that whole riff、uh, a few months ago where Elon was like Elon the second, you know, and,、uh, mm-hmm. you know, it sounded like there's, you know, I was just trying to put two and two together, like maybe. The second time around of a run up, he's thinking because they're going to do another stock split. He thinks it's going to be similar to last year, like the second time around of a short burn, or, you know, I mean, that's wishful thinking on my part, but、um, it's possible. I just don't think it's probable.、Mm-hmm. And when I think something's possible, I want to try to weigh it and think, okay, is there, a, a, you know, what do I weigh in my head as maybe 10% chance? You know, like I think. Though they, I think there's probably a 50% chance they announce another split this year or next year in my mind.、Mm-hmm. You know,、um, and if they were going to do it this year, I would think 
it's likely to be in August, you know, this month, you know, um, and most likely to be at the same time as they did last year. So in my head, it felt like maybe a 10% chance, something like that, that they would have announced a stock split, or maybe they will in the next couple of days, possible. But, you know, that's not a very high likelihood. It's a small chance. But if you look at the options, you know, the weekly options, um, they were, when I bought them, they were 80 cents or 85 cents or something uh, for the 800 strike options that expire on Friday, which happens to be the day after AI day too, in case something really special happens on AI day, you know, which is possible. Um, and there's a big, you know, gap up in the stock the next day. Um, and so I just thought that, uh, given the chance that I, I thought Tesla could, if there was a stock split announced, it could run up a hundred bucks in a few days and, and get to 850 plus or something by Friday, it could be a 50 or a hundred times return, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 10% chance of that is, is like a lottery ticket in my favor. And so I don't put much money into that. Yeah. You know, it, I didn't have nearly as high conviction as I did as the S&P uh, announcement run up, obviously. Um, but I put a little bit, you know, just a flyer is what I would call it. But, you know, you do that a bunch of times, you'll hit once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a risky bet. I mean, you know, you're, you're betting on something that probably won't happen, right? I mean, at that time. Yeah, probably not. Um, it's kind of hard to bet on something that's probably not going to happen, right? Yeah. It's weird to bet um, like that. But like, um, I'm curious, how much did you put down or put into it? Uh, yeah, I bought a, a thousand contracts in my personal account. So it was like 85,000 okay. or okay. something. I mean, yeah, how, um, my pers- I, I just want, my personal account. Yeah, okay, in your personal account. So I wanted to kind of like uh, ask you, like how do you like mentally um, deal with this conundrum where it's a small percent, right, of your holdings. Um, yeah. Let's say eighty-five thousand, whatever dollars, but yet it is a significant amount, like eighty-five thousand. Like, yeah. if, like objectively. A- another thing that could... makes me want to do it this mm-hmm. year, like something like that, is I have so many gains realized mm-hmm. that I'm paying taxes on. So in a way, it's like I think of it as half off in a way too. So when mm-hmm. I lose it, half of it discounts my gains, which is tax, you know, or ha- half the amount is basically taxes I don't have to pay because it crosses off $85,000 of gains then too. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, that makes you. sense. No, because like I'm thinking like $85,000, that's like, you know, that's like a model S almost, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like if you yeah, think, yeah, if you think back cheap, just yeah. like, you know, five or 10 years in, in, with your situation too, you know, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. that's a, that's a, a big, cheap. a big, big purchase, you know, but now you're just, you know, yeah. tossing, to- you're tossing these, <laughs> yeah, these in things. the past I would have done like 10 contracts and I, you yeah. know, that's my first instinct is like, oh, let me do like 10 or 20 contracts. Yeah. And I was like, wait, that's like nothing for my account size. Like uh, at least do something where it's substantial, if it gets a hundred times, it's like a meaningful amount that helps me pay my taxes or whatever, <laughs> crosses out my margin balance to some, to some degree, if it gets a hundred X return, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, and if I lose, at least it's discounted somewhat from my taxes Got is it. how I see it. Yeah. It makes sense. Cause like, yeah, I struggle with that myself because like, you know, I might have like a speculative bet, um, on something yeah. and I put like a small amount, but then it's a small percent, like tiny percent. Um, but yet yeah. it's a decent amount of, of change, you know, yeah. where I'm like, Hey, this, it is, is, it this is. Could, you know, buy a nice something. Right. And, um, yeah. And, yeah. but then it, like, I struggle with this whole thing. It's like, yeah, if it works out, it's not that significant of a, of a reward. So then, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, um, I kind of find myself, I'm starting to go into this path where I'm like, maybe I need to set aside a certain percent of my account or certain something 
for more speculative、mm. plays, you know? So I, because、yeah. otherwise, I feel like sometimes it's like, if I don't have something set aside in my mind or something even physically set aside, sometimes, I don't know, it, it, it kind of. I've been gets, thinking about doing that、yeah. too. Like in my IRA account, I've been thinking about doing that because, you know, I gave a section of my IRA, like a chunk of my IRA account to this, you know, Um, quantitative value investing, you know, strategy from these folks to factor investing, very different end of the spectrum from、yeah. what we talk about doing.、Um, and then, so that's kind of like safe money. And then I have a substantial amount in like SpaceX and some other private investments I've done that are much smaller. But then I have a big chunk of my IRA account just holding Tesla shares, like a substantial amount, like 17,000 shares. Tesla just like holding it like indefinitely. And I'm like, I don't want to sell it, you know, but maybe I should like consider selling a substantial amount of that to have like just like play money in the IRA because then I'm not worried about taxes either. I'm doing things、yeah, without、exactly. thinking about tax consequences. And that's more pure, I feel like, than trying to like do things. Oh, I'll be beneficial for my taxes. So I should do this, you know, or whatever, you know. So、yeah. that's kind of what I'm thinking maybe. Do you, do you, you have a small IRA, right? That you've been yeah, growing. I mean, and yeah, that I have. Yeah, the, the problem is I haven't. I'm, like,、um, the, the area I'm most interested in doing spec plays is more crypto. You know, like, that's、yeah. like the area. So I'm not sure, like, how it's going to, how I could really do it, like, in a Roth IRA. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, I'm, I'm, I was just thinking about this idea of, like, if I was, like, at a different place. So I had, I had this question here.、Um, Alex Arthur on Twitter asked,、um, Asked me to ask you if Emmett inherited $1 million as an 18 year old but had all of the knowledge he has now, how would he invest it?、Hmm. Um, so I was thinking, that kind of like, if, if I was like back in a different you know, stage or, or era, and let's say I didn't have as much resources, you know, but I could take on more risk, you know, let's say I'm, you know, I'm okay to lose whatever, you know. 10, 20, 50,000, whatever, because I can make it up pretty fast. I think I would、yeah. probably focus a lot on crypto, actually, just because the、Would、gains, yeah, the gains are just so quick and fast. It and is if, quick. And if you could kind of get that edge to be kind of in the early, early, kind of first, first adopter crowd,、um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I mean, I don't particularly like the mechanism of this whole, like, It feels a little bit like this pumping to someone else. You know, everything, everyone's pumping everything. And there's,、yeah. there seems to be kind of like this I don't know. I wouldn't say it's gray in, hat investing, but it's, 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 it's a little bit like,、um, I don't know. It's not the, the most,、uh, I don't feel the, the best about some of the, the tactics, right, in crypto.、Yeah. But,、um, But it、like、seems you go in knowing that you don't have an intention to be long term in much of the crypto trading you do. You yeah, know, exactly. Like, you're really just day trading. You're not like these companies, I mean, these currencies aren't producing a good or service. You're just hoping that other people will want to buy it more, more so than you did initially. And then you can well, sell to them later at a higher price. Kind of. Yes, but there are some prob- like potential long term big players. Like, for example, like, like three or four weeks ago, I, I took a, did a spec play into、um, the NFT game、uh, Axie Infinity. Yeah, and, I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. and it,、uh, it 3X'd in, actually more than 3X'd, like in three、Pretty、weeks. Pretty quick, I bet. Yeah, in like yeah. three weeks. I'm like, dude, that's a 3X in three weeks, right? And, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't like a, a, a huge amount, but I'm like, oh man, it's like the, the dynamics of crypto and the supply and demand kind of equation there, it just seems like it's so like warped in terms of the volatility. Like if more people get into it, And buy it, it just 
really goes up high or crashes. And I think like yeah. at a certain stage, like if, if you're wanting quick gains, like that kind of thing, if you can have an advantage, have an edge somehow that you can work that for, you know, for your advantage. Um, it's just that yeah. at a later stage, I think it's, you're, you're like maybe not as risk prone, you know, to, for yeah. example, have a 50% drop in like a week or something. Um, so you might move toward yeah. more safer investments, but I think at a certain stage, you know, like, um, certain, the moves in crypto are just like, yeah, they're fascinating to me. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, on the crypto thing, I think what you said resonates with me a lot too, that it feels funny, you know, investing in crypto, but day trades to get crypto is another thing. And, um, I, I do, you know, I think Bitcoin has a value, like a store of gold, digital, digital gold store of value, you know, case. And, you know, I, I've said for a while, like if there is a digital gold, I don't see how Bitcoin's not that, you know, um, Ethereum might have some long term value with the functionality it provides, like a big structure or backbone for all this functionality everyone's kind of entrusted it with. And then you have like Dogecoin, which could be like the actual cash that's used potentially, you know, like maybe that doesn't go up in value so much, but actually people are start using it to like tip people or give people things, you know, transact on it, mm -hmm. you know, so maybe you have a third thing for that, you know, but other than like two or three cryptos kind of making it longer term, a lot of them I just see is like ICOs round two, you know, and, you know, like there's, yeah, there's theoretical improvements and functionalities and governance or all these things, but how are you ever going to get enough people to jump off the Bitcoin or Ethereum bandwagon to these other currencies? You know, like, so those things have got the critical mass to such high degree already. Like, you know, you got to have a super step change and improvement, not just marginal improvements. And, you know, the people that are designing these other cryptos, whether it's Cardano or whatever, they probably think it's a serious step change within that realm. It is, mm -hmm. but to the outsider who's kind of just entering, they're not going to see it and be like, Oh, I'm going to go in cart all in on Cardano and nothing on Ethereum and nothing to Bitcoin. You know, I just feel like, Unless, you know, and I feel like the NFTs um, are is a whole nother thing. That's like digital collectibles, you know, and um, it's, you know, like the Axie stuff is fascinating to me, too. It's like the latest trend and um, everyone's pushing their their, you know, pumping their cryptocurrency out of the hundred cryptocurrencies and out of the thousands and thousands of NFTs out there. But I think only, you know a few cryptos will make it long term and only, you know, a handful of NFTs will be worth a lot five years from now, you know? All right. Um, I want to, I want to give, yeah. I want to toss out a, a, a argument um, on the flip side here. So sure. I, I like this. This is a hypothesis, but I think in the past few to several months, something has shifted in the crypto world. And I don't think people are completely picking up on it yet, but I okay. think the shift is, is, there's been this um, uh, dynamic where the shift is moved away from Bitcoin and into Ethereum and a bunch of the ecosystem around Ethereum. And yeah. <clears throat> like some Bitcoin maxis are going to like <laughs> not be happy with this, but um, it's not saying that Bitcoin isn't going to do all, you know, I think, you know, it definitely has a role, but um, have you heard, have you, do you know Fred Wilson from um, AVC? Um, dot com. He's like he he runs a Union Square venture. So he's like this legendary okay. VC guy. I've been following him for like yeah. over a decade. He writes yeah, a blog. Union Square venture. Yeah, he writes a blog post every day um, on his site. But he's been a super early crypto investor. And last week he wrote this blog post. He says he's always looking for that killer use case. You know, 
with the new technology. And he says he admits that crypto has yet to find that crypto, that killer use case that everyone, you know, just like jumps on. Mm-hmm. And, and um, it reminds me of something that you said um, several months ago, you're like kind of, what, what do people use crypto for? You know, like what's, what's yeah. the killer use case? And he says yeah. like, he's finally seen the, the opening of what he thinks is the killer use case. And he okay. says the killer use case is, it seems like it's coming from these like NFT games where mm. they're pulling together different parts of crypto. So for example, with Axie Infinity, so for those yeah. who don't know, it's like this game where you, you, you start with a character, which is an NFT that can gain value, but then you use these characters kind of like a Pokemon kind of uh, game um, where you fight other teams and stuff and you gain points and then you're able to like breed and grow your your Axie kind of population. It's like an old school Final Fantasy fighting, role-playing fighting style, yeah, too, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, so what, 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 what happened was they, this game has combined a ton of different parts of crypto. For example, the NFT part with the... Um, a lot of parts of the game are N- NFT, not just the characters, but the, the land and different parts. Mm-hmm. And then they've um, had to create their own side chain. So Ethereum gas mm-hmm. fees were just too pricey. Um, so they had to create their own sidechain, but it's built on top of Ethereum, but it runs its own transactions basically, right? And occasionally mm-hmm. like syncs up with Ethereum. So they brought down the, the, the fees so low that now the game makes sense to run completely like decentralized and on crypto. Mm-hmm. And there's a few other things going on, but um, they've got a million people who own axes now. Um, yes, it's growing fast. Yeah, so so some people are like, um, there might be two million people who own crypto like NFTs, and half of them are likely actually owners of of the Axie NFT. Actually, it's that big right well, now. What percentage of that is in the Philippines? Would you say in like those communities that it's really gone vi- viral in? Yeah, I don't know what exact percent, but I would imagine maybe like a third or so. I, I would imagine majority. Really? That's it. I thought from some of the stuff I've read about it, maybe that's just where it picked up early, but I thought that's where like the majority was in some of these yeah, no, I poor think th- areas of the Philippines. I think there's a lot of excitement there, but the majority I think is it's it's a global you know thing going on. But mm-hmm. what's interesting about this is there's finally a use case where you can not just play a game, but it's a decentralized thing you own and it's an investment. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of games, it's hard to think of it as an investment, but yeah. you're having these new forms of games that um, are kind of investments. And then you have a whole crop of these other games that are coming up as well, that mm-hmm. are kind of borrowing on the model. Um, mm-hmm. And if you get uh, get in, and this is not investment advice for anyone, obviously, these are, <laughs> no, this is highly risky stuff. Yeah, exactly. Especially this part. Yeah. Yeah, especially this part. But, you get in and you own basically a part of that the company in a sense. Yes. Like you own a yes. part of this whole you know um, enterprise. Um, and mm-hmm. if there's future cash flows, you can get you know it's it's the same thing as like a dividend, it, as this, as the games make money. And what Axie Infinity has done is they're the first game that has is radically making money. Like yeah. we're talking like hundreds of millions of dollars of transactions per week. Like it just like how do they make money is the question. So all of the transactions go through and they take a cut basically. So there there's a marketplace where you sell axes. There's like you know you gain stuff. Um, there's they have they also hold the coin. 
the AX, mm-hmm. AXS coin that's going up in value. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a, the whole mechanism. There's like they're taking like transaction fees of everything that's being transacted in the game yeah. as well. And um, it's lower transaction. I mean, they have a better cut or better better margins because they got rid of the you know more expensive Ethereum gas and they have their own kind of infrastructure on top of that or something. That's exactly. Better yeah. margins for them. My my but also my question is how does more money or wealth get created in the system, the entire Axie system? How does it build? Well, okay, so here's well, the thing five. where I might disagree with a lot of Axie fans is a lot of people are just in it for the short term, you know, whenever, mm-hmm. how high it goes. But for me, um, there's going to be probably a few to several um, players who create true platforms. Like literally, like imagine if Axie, I'm not sure if they're the, really the it, the, the ones who do mm-hmm. it, but imagine if they create the next type of Roblox for Mm-hmm. Um, on that the everyone blockchain in the world that really wants to play exactly or the next stays with unity platform or the app store mm-hmm. right where you can create mm-hmm. on top of their technologies let's say thousands or tens of thousands of games and experiences mm-hmm. and not just games but let's mm-hmm. say real life or you know metaverse type of experiences and they're taking a cut of all of that right mm-hmm. um and you think like okay so you have to weigh this because this it's been proven in the in the physical world that there's massive opportunities. Like gaming is huge. Like think of think of what sells on the app store, right? Yeah. So the whole question is, can this be transferred over into more of a crypto decentralized manner? Are there advantages, and are there disadvantages, right? And the clear disadvantages to this point is it's been inefficient. There's too much gas fees. It's just you know there's a lot of things but these things are getting solved and once they get solved the big advantage with the decentralized type of gaming is there's eventually i mean these companies still hold it but it's like you're giving everyone an ownership of that company imagine if every fortnite player owned stock in fortnite and they can get more stock the more they played fortnite like how much would they play fortnite even more you know it's like yeah it's basically like gaming on steroids right and so yeah there's going to be a few to several big players that could create potentially multi-trillion dollar enterprises. I mean, we're talking about like massive, massive companies or, or yeah. you know, things. I mean, this is still so hard to wrap my head around. I'm sure <laughs> reading about it is probably mind-blowing. This, you know, it's just it's a possible future that you have to kind of comprehend as a poss- real possibility emerging here. And it's it's crazy to think about. I'm still not on board with the uh, with it um, as as like something I would invest my money in or do something, but it's certainly a possible outcome. I, I'm very skeptical, though. I think that the the you know the, whether it's you know Axie Infinity, you know they have to keep growing their wealth by attracting more people. It reminds me of like when I was younger. I remember my brother was really big into like get 10 CDs for one penny. All you have to do is convince five of your friends to sign up for this deal too. And all they had to do is convince five of their friends, like, you know, it's a pyramid scheme. It reminded me of that. Like at first that seemed so good to be true when I was a kid. I was like, wow, that looks amazing. But then I saw the struggles my brother had to go through to sign up five more people. And then he, you know, it was like a, just a pyramid scheme, you know, and you experience or through someone else you experience it and you kind of see it. And to me, it strikes as like a more complex technological pyramid scheme and a lot of cryptocurrencies feel like that in general to be honest um you know even even bitcoin i don't know for sure it'll be around forever you know but i think if there is a digital gold i don't see how bitcoin's not that so that's why i i I still hold my bitcoin and you know i've thought about diversifying some of it to ethereum but 
all these other cryptocurrencies and you know the nfts and you know there's going to be a few nfts people like a friend of mine bought a cyberpunk wave you know a few months ago for like what it seemed like an obscene amount of money back then and now he just sold it for like 10 times more and i was like whoa that's crazy you know but cyberpunks might be one of those nfts that really sticks around you know nba yeah. top shots i don't even know i haven't heard that in a while after that was really amazing for a while but i haven't heard anyone talk about that lately so a lot of things come and go, you know, and it reminds yeah. me of Clubhouse. How remember how quickly everyone was excited about Clubhouse originally? You know, we signed up and people people signed and you tried it a few times and it seemed cool. And you couldn't make, it. but after a month or two, it kind of cools off and you're like, ah, eh, it's not really that special, you know. Like, yeah. a lot of these fads come and go. It's so hard to tell what's a fad and what's not still yeah, in this. Definitely. Space. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like that whole kind of pyramidish feel of crypto and a lot of this stuff i mean to me that is the to me that's like there's it's a double-edged sword like it's on one side it's like you know it, it feels there's an unethicalness to it especially when it doesn't work out and most of it isn't going to work out you know that's the reality yeah. Yeah. um yeah. but then on the flip side there's some opportunity there because that creates this noise and this negative negativity around type of the whole field where it actually uh, discourages some people from from touching it true you know yeah and some people are slowly getting on board with buying uh, a little bit here and there and that's what keeps i think bitcoin and ethereum going up is a lot of the naysayers or skeptical people are slowly coming around to putting small amounts of their balance sheet or their yeah net worth into it yeah uh definitely fascinating stuff um yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna... i wonder how it's accelerating so fast like it seems like there's more and more of these technology related fads coming out faster and faster you know like used to be like something came out every few years now it's like every few months there's some new really cool thing coming out everyone gets excited yeah. about it and have to be like whoa 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 that's not the new thing i don't know yeah. what it is but maybe that's not you know yeah. it's hard to say what it is or what it yeah. is yeah i'm gonna be um interviewing this uh one of the co-founders of axie infinity in the next couple of weeks oh, it's exciting yeah i then, mean they have a real gem on their hands yeah. of what they've built i'm not saying like like they're gonna yeah. i mean they could sustain themselves where they're at uh, just like the days of tripling your nft sure. value in a month that might still be another few months of that even i don't know but sure. at some point that's not going to keep happening yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Can't happen <laughs> yeah exactly forever, you know? and then um there's a there's another game uh i'm trying to get in contact with with the founders it's called ember's sword um it's another okay. type of multi-player crazy game based on F based on nfts yeah. but yeah. um yeah i think like part of me thinks like if 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 there are younger folks more diligent than us like because right now, our, I think my disadvantage and maybe your disadvantage is, is there's just so few hours in the day to research every yeah. single thing out there, you know, like all the opportunities, right? And yeah. if some people are more focused on a certain area, they could actually, you know, definitely uh, catch things, you know, before others. I think that's probably, you know, definitely one of the, the advantages. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Find the next Axie Infinity in its baby stage. Exactly. And Make yeah. a fortune on that. Yeah, because yeah. like I think Axie did a hundred X in less in like less than a year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Can you crazy. imagine that? <laughs> yeah. There'll be something else like there's probably exactly. a hundred or a thousand, you know, startups being funded by venture capital right now that are claiming to be the next Axie and uh -huh. we'll see if any of them pan out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I wanna ask you um a few things about um uh, some other stocks here. So Palantir. So uh, Ron Wall says thoughts on Palantir. Is it in y'all's portfolio or are you thinking of adding it? Have you thought about uh, Palantir? Have you looked into it? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, I've looked at the stock a lot. I mean, uh, I don't know it 
well enough. I've listened to a few, um, you know, interviews or podcasts about it, describing it. Um, I think there's a, and, and the fact that like, uh, ARK Invest and some other folks that I, I like are big on Palantir, um, is a signal to me to like pay attention, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to pay more attention to it and get more convicted on it. It's just like you said, so many hours in a day, I spend so much time on Tesla because it's most of my net worth and a substantial part of my fund. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the rest of the hours go to a few other things, whether it's Roblox limit and a few other things. And then I've, you know, Matt helps me with some of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And then we have a junior guy we're trying to a task with stuff. Yeah. So Palantir, it seems like they're really a big data, uh, player and they have some, impressive algorithms or AI. AI, I don't even know what AI means these days. It means so many different <laughs> things. But they have some impressive yeah. like AI, you know, yeah. but impressive algorithms that they they do where they uh well, almost tripped. <laughs> they, mm. Where they uh can like make a lot of sense of big data really quickly for like big or like government or organizations. And now they're going downstream to like entrepreneurs and um they have these contracts they sign up that are like long term and um Peter Thiel is impressive to me and and uh and so i don't know have you studied palantir much what, what are your thoughts yeah, about it? i think long term it could it's 40 billion market cap right I know, now yeah already, it is right? yeah i mean that's the big issue you know always is valuation but so i've done a few rounds on this you know on palantir and you know i've gone through all their uh you know quarterly reports their s1 and um mm -hmm. a bunch of interviews with you know their founder and their team um and um, the first time I went through it, I was like, you know, I'm not sure about a company working so close with the government. And I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, data, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of like very cautious of government overreach. Um, yeah. But I kept on like, you know, doing a couple more rounds um, over the past several months. And it seems like, you know, they have an interesting take where they're like, rather than not working with government, Let's say if all of Silicon Valley companies don't work with government, they're thinking the risk of go government overreach is higher it's because worse. is yeah. worse because they're like siloed, right? The, do, the government's doing their own thing. But if the best tech companies can help the government, but also kind of give some boundaries where it's like, you know, the government's not going to do abusive stuff with the technology because it's, you know, within certain systems. Um, mm -hmm then that could actually help with individual liberties. That's their take. It's still up in the air. But um, <clears throat> the two I things that argument. Yeah, yeah. Go the, on. the two things that have changed my mind over the past several months to move me to kind of a more stronger bullish side is um, mm -hmm. one was seeing a demo of their software in action. So you know, I was watching a bunch of their presentations and I'm like, okay, okay, this, everything's just talk until like, you know, I see something yeah. and I actually saw a demo and I'm like, oh, I get it. I, I, when I, after I saw the demo, it was like a 15, 20 minute demo from the company. I'm like, oh, I totally get what they're doing now, you know? And it's, it's, um, it, 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 it's something that companies really, really need. Um, and, um, they're basically bringing like value out of data, you know, all this data mm -hmm. is all hidden and it's not brought out and they're doing two things. One is they're allowing companies to bring the data out like to into something usable. And that's really hard for a lot of companies to do. And then once they have the data mm -hmm. out, they're giving these companies like instant ways to make quick, actionable type of um, uh, insights from the data, which is actually really, they give a lot of really specific hard. examples in their presentation, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the, the, the typical route is 
you take months and months to gather all your data into certain databases and forms to analyze. And then you take months and months, right, to, and typical consulting companies will do this. They'll take months and months to try sure. to analyze your data and then, and you're a consulting company, right? But what Palantir is trying to do is rather than being a consulting company, they're like, can we make something that's scalable that can actually take the data that companies have in different forms but quickly bring it out and quickly analyze it like automatically to, mm. to where it gets the insight that that company specifically wants for that for their business right and it's mm. really really hard problem to solve um, most companies can't do it they're just like they take years and years to serve one customer palantir says that that everything they're doing is it's scalable they're they're doing it not as a consulting gig but Mm -hmm. It applies to all the companies out there. And so that was the first thing. The second thing was diving into the CEO's, um, Alex Karp's uh, interviews. And at first I was kind of like, oh, whatever, whatever. You know, like he comes up in these company presentations and he, he seems to be a little bit eccentric, but he doesn't, it didn't really hit me as like, yeah. this guy is like it. And until I was listening to some of his like stand alone, his, like, his own interviews um, at length, and then I'm like, oh man, this guy, this guy is, he is eccentric. I mean, he, in a good way. Yeah. Like the, the yeah. guy, the guy is, um, he is a long-term thinker. He is, um, he, he's definitely an interesting guy. And, um, the way he thinks about his business is interesting. And, um, um, and. So he impressed you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Over, he just. Over time. <clears throat> Yeah, initially, but it, especially doing these deep dive interviews that recently have come up, you could kind of search for them. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, and you know, they have they also recently guided like 50% revenue um, growth for the next like five years or something like yeah. every year, which is deal. which is crazy. Um, yeah. And I think they could do it. And so yeah, they're one of these companies that's kind of like a, this oddity, you know, um, yeah, where um, they, they're definitely like, I've, I've had a position for, for a bit of small, but then I'm like growing in this interest with Palantir, um, where I'm like, yeah, if, if you have a, a long enough time horizon, like five or 10 years, it's like, you know, it doesn't really Could matter. Be a 10 or something. Yeah. It doesn't really, yeah. It doesn't really matter the exact price you get in per se, you know, it's just, if you have that long enough time horizon, my only qualm with it is kind of like, is there's still kind of burning cash. And they're they're still in growth mode, but like there's they still have like a negative EBITDA, and I don't know when they're really mm. gonna flip that. And I'm kind of like mm. honing into this strategy where I'm like, you know, it seems like the some of the juiciest type of opportunities are when a company has like long history of negative EBITDA. They're a fast growing company, and they're kind of like discounted as like whatever, and then they switch to kind of this positive mm -hmm. cash flow or this positive EBITDA number catch everyone off guard or the yeah and, this, and then everyone has to kind of re-rate it to something different exactly and then the, it's not just a simple positive but it's actually an exponentially growing positive ebitda and cash flow and if you can catch the company at that intersection that was basically a tesla in 2019 then you've yeah. got like this crazy opportunity where you have limited downside risk right because the company's at a turning point and you've got this massive upside um, yeah. Palantir though is still going to be a while, you know, before I think they get yeah, to be that type of that you know, flip, turning right? point. Um, yeah. And then, um, um, yeah, Lemonade is also one of those companies. It's like, yeah, it's like, they're still burning. They're not burning a ton, but they're still burning cash. They're going to be negative EBITDA. They're not even guiding for positive EBITDA or cash flow for quite a while. They're not, they're saying like, yeah. it's going to be like 
years before that happens, right? They're not even thinking <laughs> yeah. about it short or like next few years. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah, it could be a while. And yeah. that's yeah, that's kind of the negative on lemonade is yeah. they don't have that kind of that that shifting turning point where it's like, oh, we're we're we've lost a ton of money, but now we're making a ton of money, right? Yeah. And this like yeah. change in narrative where everything has to be re-rated. Um, yeah, I don't know, but yeah. No, I agree with you on those things. I mean, um, Palantir, a friend of mine uh, who, you know, was was telling me that he thinks the run up, you know, that, that it had uh, early this year, I guess it went to like 40s or something around $40 yeah. was the high and then it dropped to like $20 or 18, you know, I don't know, below 20 even, I think. And uh, it was because of the insiders were able to start selling, you know, in a certain week. And that's when it dropped real quick from like, the thirties to the twenties and then it kind of tailspin been down along with the other growth stocks. But maybe, you know, if most of the majority of the insider selling has been done, you know, and the lockup period kind of, you know, all the employees that owned that worked for Palantir for so long that owned stock and wanted to cash out on some now they're, they're, that's kind of off the, off the books now. And maybe, uh, maybe it'll start appreciating over time now again and, and not have such a, volatile downswing again who knows but yeah yeah it's an interesting company to keep an eye on i still i would like to you to send me the uh demo maybe later the the link link you saw yeah 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 i'll try to add it yeah. in the video description if i can remember, remember. okay yeah that's um, a good idea yeah um pin nick says lemonade stock is down in the past month what's your current view on the company and long-term growth red says uh lemonade your thoughts on earnings and long-term prospects is your investment thesis still intact um any thoughts on lemonade were you able to follow their last yeah uh, Yeah. I mean, Matt and I talked about this, uh, recently. Um, and, and, uh, he, you know, like you said, we're a good compliment. He goes into like the, the numbers and the number crunching of, uh, the financials of, and for me, I'm more of a big picture guy. I still see lemonade from a big picture, like, um, being a combination of, uh, you know, the best of Robin hood and the best of interactive brokers combined, uh, in the insure tech space, space, not the fintech space, insure tech. Like in Interactive Rose, a terrible user interface, but incredible backbone infrastructure they built themselves from scratch that allows them to provide such incredible value proposition that they succeed despite a terrible user interface all these years. And then Robinhood, they have like, you know, incredible user interface um, that is really catchy. People can sound real fast and makes sense and easy to use. Um, but in my opinion, like the rates, the, the the safety of the, you know, there's a lot of problems in the backbone infrastructure of Robinhood. Like it's not well capitalized, you know, like they, you know, offer portfolio margin, the margin rates are high, you know, stock lending issues and all this stuff. So, you know, you combine that in the insurance space and that's what Lemonade is in my opinion. Um, and so other than, I think life insurance, they piggy off, piggyback off of some other legacy insurance uh, player, but other than their life insurance, I think they've built the insurance stack themselves from the ground zero, which allows them to pivot quickly, adjust things quickly, learn, you know, maybe they could use Palantir service, or maybe they already have their own type of service like that built into place, it sounds like, with how they collect data with their own AI, according to their uh, management interviews. So I just think there's a lot of potential with Lemonade to really disrupt the insurance industry and not to mention they're global like they're trying to be global they're not just sure. focused on the us you know they're not just focused on europe you know so they're like innovating in so many ways that no one else in the insure tech place is in- innovating all the other insure tech players i've heard of are sort of kind of like piggybacking off of some legacy insurance provider 
and just white wrap wrapping it up in their own name with a little bit of a glossy feel user interface but they're constricted by what they can do based on the legacy insurance providers backbone infrastructure and so to me lemonade's the only one that's different from that that i see and so i think five five years out it could be hugely successful like you were talking about like one or two years out they might not make money for a few yeah. years still but they're five billion market cap now you know and they could be much higher in a few years um but like we've said before sometimes uh, you know the investments that feel risky or lonely are the ones that have the biggest payoffs you know and it's starting to feel like that with lemonade in yeah, some ways yeah, you know yeah. and and so maybe that's a good thing or maybe you know i don't know how they would go out of business to be honest i think i, I think they're around in it for the long term so i'm trying to look for red flags but i don't really see any big red flags yeah what are your that's my big picture point of view. matt goes yeah. into the numbers and he's he's still bullish on it too and yeah. and i like his take on it i mean you you look at the numbers and you probably have yeah. your own big picture point of view too i mean <laughs> i agree in some like a lot of ways like as long as like they don't die it's the most like they'll do they'll do fine <laughs> and, yeah and the yeah. chances of them dying are pretty low and they're like in a field where um, it's extremely tough for a new, you know, uh, entrant to gain a lot of market share. Um, mm -hmm. Margins are low. It's just, you know, a lot of brand and trust um, stuff. And so, um, yeah, I think um, um, it's interesting because, like, after this past earnings, and not just this earnings, but previous, it's like every earnings, like, you know, people misunderstand or completely distort, like, their earnings because, like, they don't understand, like, like lemonade and if you look at their their financial statements it actually looks really it can it can look pretty terrible i mean there's there's this issue where like revenue dropped from last year but it's because in the middle of last year they they changed their reinsurance agreements so they re they they changed how they report revenue so you can't compare them the like a year ago revenue but people do mm -hmm. and it's like dropped and there's all these other small things about like how their financial statement works where people just like think they're just burning money and always are going to be burning money forever right and they don't like catch yeah. that there's actually like um stuff happening where like the premiums are growing the customers are growing like you know they're gaining yeah. a lot of stuff in the background yeah um and it reminds me of like what i was talking about but the negative eb dollar like kind of the whole like companies bleeding cash it's like i'm starting to divide it up it's like you have this one phase of investing if you choose to where it's like you're investing yeah. in a high growth but like money bleeding company right like yes and um this is like very risky yeah very risky it's like a and, step above venture capital or something but it's in the public market yeah, yeah exactly and uh it's going to be ridiculed and misunderstood and you know there's going to be some issues um and then you have the second phase or second stage where it's like you have the turning point where a high growth company is switching from negative to positive cash flow or EBITDA. And then you have this third type of stage where you have kind of like maybe a multi-year run of increasing mm -hmm. a growing EBITDA and growing kind of valuation, valuation, kind of like Amazon in the past, maybe like, you know, five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's like anytime I think you invest in this first group of the, the negative cash flow companies, um, high growth, it's like, um, it, it, it's, it's going to be lonely. Um, it's good. You're going to, it's going to be misunderstood. There's higher risk, you know? Um, I think there, it was scary about it is there's going to be times of hype where it's going to mm -hmm. be like, wow, it's hyped it's up. I should get in, but then it's going to get lonely real quick. When the stock comes back down, you're going to be like, oh, and no exactly. one's going to be investing in it. And you're gonna be like, oh, I, 
pick the wrong thing or something. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, go on. Um, but yeah, it's like versus the other two places are much more like exciting and kind of. Uh, yeah. yeah they're much like more invested in tesla right now for example. exactly yeah. you know it's like it's a different uh, place to be when um or moderna right now investing in moderna yeah. right now yeah it's freaking ripping yeah yeah exactly um so yeah i think um in some ways i feel like you know um lemonade is one of the things where i just don't touch my investment i just leave it and i go hey it's going to be rocky it's going to be volatile um people are going to hate on it and that's fine yeah. it's still early the stage you know um, yeah. and who knows they could, they could, you know, fail to execute too, but that's all I'm worried about or looking at right now is how are they growing? What are their, you know, key premium numbers? Is it still trending yeah. up? You know, are they, you know, pushing the envelope? And I think they are. So I'm pretty happy with overall the investment. Yeah. yeah. I think their auto insurance is the big potential catalyst for lemonade. You know, if they can push that out, hopefully, uh, the next few quarters and get some traction there. It could be really uh, a, a game changer for their valuation if they show traction there and it's definitely it's, it's profitable. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's go back. Let's go to a few um, Tesla questions here. Um, Say Kid says Tesla's long delivery times are likely attributable to two primary factors: strong demand and legitimate supply chain or chip shortage issues. What percent which for each would you assign to each factor? And is there any near-term concern? I think most of the issue is uh, supply shortage, mm -hmm. the chip shortage. You know, especially if, like you see it evident in the Model S is getting pushed out so far. You know, like that's their most that should be their most profitable car, and they can't make them because I think there's like maybe a new MCU with the three screens, and they can't you know adjust the chips to w controllers that they did for the you know, the three and the Y. And so they're relying on these chips that are hard to get maybe. And so I think, and that's, you know, I think the supply um, constraints on the chips are hurting. That's my feeling. I don't know for sure. That's just my gut feeling. I don't think the demand for the S is like so off the roof that they can't produce so many if there's no chip shortage. I mean, they probably, maybe the demand is really good, but I don't think they're going to be you know, they what, what's the capacity? They had a hundred thousand S's per year capacity or something. So I don't think they're going to be delivering anything close to like twenty or twenty. I think I'd be happy if they if they deliver ten thousand Model S's this quarter. I'd be like, wow, that was that was good, better than my expectations. You know, so that's what I think. I know people are talking about like maybe they just talk of like maybe there's a delay because they have to reformat some of the batteries because that fire or the plaid. But I don't I don't know about that. Um, you know, so. Do you think it's a uh, supply or demand the the delays? What, yeah. what do you think, Dave? I don't know. I mean, I don't think. I think there's definitely, obviously, some chip shortages. Um, so that is a factor. I I just think yeah. the bigger picture is Tesla plans out like uh, incremental growth. It's very planned out and strategic. Meaning they don't That's want true. to have a big jump and then just flatline for a year. You know, they're yeah. they're yeah. slowly every quarter. They ideally they would like to increase production. The problem is, you know, they're capped out pretty much at Fremont. Of course, they're still refreshing the SNX, and they're they're getting closer to being capped out in Shanghai. So they have to rely on Austin and Berlin to really take them to the next level. But they don't want to, I think, just jump and then wait wait for like a while. Like they want to gradually move into this where where um, they can uh, Austin and Berlin can push up 
their deliveries every quarter, right? And so <clears throat> in that sense, like, I don't think Tesla is trying to build per se every single car they possibly can this quarter. <laughs> like they're, they're, yeah. they're Maybe just, that's true. they're strategic about it. You know, they're holding back in yeah. some ways, always, you know, um, to make the growth more smoother over the years. Right. Um, yeah. I think that's the bigger picture. Um, not too concerned about, you know, yeah. Um, shortages. I mean, they'll figure it out, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of demand. Um, just the, the, yeah. Hopefully, they figure out the chip short. I think Elon mentioned recently, like, can only build it as fast as the slowest part, you know, or something like that. And it seemed, and he also mentioned something in the last couple of weeks about the chip shortages. I thought, and there was that rumor they were thinking about building their own like prefab uh, mm-hmm. chip, but that takes like you know 18 months to kind of even build it and then it takes like you know two months or three months to build the chips out of each t- each round of chips or something i think so that would have been a long-winded uh solution that i think they just decided not to not to attempt but i i do think the chip shortages are affecting tesla but maybe not as much as the other automakers obviously yeah um matthew lim um on twitter says in your opinions how much of tesla's future growth has been has been priced into their valuation or stock price right now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think their future, we've talked about in the past, like this 10x run-up they had in 2019 to early 2021, you know, like that's a big run-up in stock 10 times, right? 10x, (laughs) went from like 50 billion to 500 billion or 60 billion to 600 billion or whatever, you know, it was just like, Wow, it jumped up there, and it, you know it was well deserved. A lot of it should it was you know artificially suppressed by shorts for so long and fud for so long, but um, there, there's a lot of growth priced into the Tesla stock, and like you were just saying, like they're measuringly increasing production every quarter, and I think that's sort of priced into the stock for a while. Mm-hmm. But the uh, when the new factories come on, if the if the measured increase is substantial, if it goes from yeah, let's say it goes from Q1 next year, like 250,000, then Q2 is like 320,000. That's going to be substantial, you know, and then it goes to like 400,000 the quarter after that, you know. So, but if it goes from 250,000 to 270,000 to 290,000, you know, it goes up, you know, five to 10% sequentially per quarter. My feeling that's is that's sort of priced in for the next couple of years. That's kind of my feeling. But when there's a substantial jump of like 20% sequentially over a quarter, That'll, I think, kind of help push the stock. That's my thought. Uh, you, you, yeah. you, you think the same, or what are you? What are your thoughts, Dave? Yeah. Um, so I've been trying to, um, um, I've been taking some different angles on this lately, and so um, I, I did this one episode on kind of Amazon's EBITDA over the years, and it's interesting. I saw that. That was it, good. Yeah. Since like 2011, it's really been really consistent. Their EBITDA multiple. Um, um, basically, you know, it's been pretty much like if you take the enterprise value over EBITDA, it's basically, you know, between 25 and maybe 55-ish or 60, 25 to 60 multiple throughout the past 10 okay. years. Um, okay. And this is like really interesting because it shows that maybe there could be some type of, you know, rational type of valuation metric to use to, especially when a company isn't making a ton of profits, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Amazon still was actually bringing in a decent amount of EBITDA like cash flow. And you can value a company kind of based off of that. It's not perfect all the time, but if you apply it to Tesla, their last quarter, they 
reported an adjusted EBITDA of $2.4 billion. Now, adjusted means they actually uh, pulled out the stock-based compensation um, okay. as well. That's the adjusted. If you yeah, if you add in stock-based compensation. It's like $10 billion per year rate, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you do t $10 billion run rate right now, this is not factoring in the next quarters of growth, right? Okay. And so at a $700 billion valuation, that's a 70 multiple off of Tesla. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's take another way. Let's say you take um, the next year's kind of forecasted EBITDA, right? And, you know, let's say 2.4 grows, you know, and you, you have incrementally like higher every quarter for next year. And let's say you have a $13 billion EBITDA or so for the next, let's say, 12 months. In that case, you do a 50x off of that, and that's like $650 billion, right? Off of 50 multiple, yeah, which is, you yeah. know, not bad. So, I mean, the, 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 the gist of it, though, is once you wait a year or two and Tesla is at $4 billion adjusted EBITDA, let's say, and, and over the next 12 months, like $4 billion, that's $16 billion already, right? In, yeah. in, in a run rate. But let's say it's like 20 or $25 billion over next year. Right, times that by fifty, you're at one one trillion to one point two five trillion dollars. Right, just using yeah. like a fifty uh, EBITDA multiple over for the uh, um, upcoming twelve months. And so, you know, there is a case to be made where, you know, you know, who knows if Tesla can execute like they're executing, continue to grow, grow their margins, you know, software margins, all this stuff, then you know they could command a decent you know EBITDA multiple, um, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting kind I of like thought that. exercise. No, I think that's a really uh, great way to think about it. And I think there's enough market participants in there where that could very well be the case. It's the range that you were saying, 25 to 60, it bounced around Amazon, right? So Tesla mm -hmm. could bounce around maybe theoretically the similar. So it can bounce around. But on average, it should – I agree that it should kind of go up. It's never going to like – I don't think it's going to like go up 10x again <laughs> in a year or two. <laughs> Or I don't think it's going to go up like 3x in one or two years, unless it's at the lower end of the range and it corrected down to like $300 a share, $400 a share later this year, then maybe next year it'll go up to $1,200 or something, you know, possible that. But from where it is now, I don't think, it, I don't see it going up 3x within a year ever again, you know, anytime soon or unless the full self-driving really picks up fast and becomes much more apparent. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, you've been uh, driving it. Uh, we can talk about that later, I guess. But uh, yeah. Yeah, curious to hear what you're going to have to say. Yeah, no, I mean, um, yeah, I'd love to share. I mean, we got, I get, just got the 9.2 full self-driving beta uh, yesterday morning, actually. Um, okay. So we're this is Sunday right now, so it's Saturday morning. But um, yeah, drove it actually like a few hours already and um, lots of different situations. Um, it's interesting. I, I haven't noticed a a big decrease in the disengagements or interventions. So it's, it's pretty similar to past, you mm -hmm. know, versions. Um, just a little bit, some changes, like at, when you make a right turn onto like a fast street, it'll go faster than normal. Like it does this boost. Um, but sometimes it's not appropriate because like, yeah, it's just weird. It's so nuanced, like full self, like driving. It's like, like I have such a deeper appreciation of how difficult it is because like, <laughs> Even yeah. a five mile per hour difference of a, how fast you accelerate or not in the right situation or, you know, it makes a big difference on how things feel. It's like there's, yeah. it's so complicated. Um, but yeah, um, um, every time I, I, I 
drive uh, FSC, I'm left with just like how fascinating it is. Like, like it's trying to solve this problem of driving. It's just so, yeah. I, I keep on thinking it's so stinking hard. It's such a hard problem. And yeah. I'm like thinking like Tesla's kind of crazy to, to even <laughs> attempt to try to solve this because it's so hard, yeah. you know? And, yeah. um, um, like I don't. It's like forced to be in a two D space too. It's like extra hard because it's like you have all this like three D world issues, but you're forced to stay in a two D space. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame the other companies for not wanting to do vision, like wanting to rely on something else, like lidar. Because the the image I I come up with is like kind of like um a, a janitor or someone who's like picking up like things that other people don't want to. And the the way the reason why I say that is because like the the the, the interventions or the scenarios that vision and driving like comes across, it's so, so messy. It's just so ugly too. And it's just, it requires so much like complexity that no one wants to deal with it. I would imagine like these companies don't want to deal with the, all of that just messy trash, like of situations like over and over and over you, you want a cleaner <laughs> solution, right? And LIDAR yeah. and these other type of things, they, they promise like the potential of a cleaner solution, right? An easier solution. Yeah. Like, yeah, just like the level of audacity and like ambition that Tesla is showing, like trying to solve full self-driving is just like mind blowing. Um, so in that sense, it's funny because I think that Tesla FSD is, is still has a long ways to go before it's like really like good enough, even for wide release um, mm -hmm. and for robo taxi, it's gonna be, you know. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, it's not gonna be, like, I, when it's, yeah, before it's gonna be a while before you could sleep in your car completely, like, you know, let it go. I mean, it's, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a challenging yeah. situation. But on the flip side, like I'm more bullish on Tesla FSD in the sense that I think the competition is further behind because it's so stinking hard. They don't even want to try it, like what Tesla's doing. And so mm -hmm. even though Tesla, I think, is is having challenges and difficulties, um, and the timeline is, you know, it's going to take some time, um, on the flip side, I, I'm just like more bullish on their competitive lead um, mm -hmm. to the point where I don't know if there's going to be a single company that really wants to dive in this messy, you know, like Tesla's doing. Um, yeah. Like who wants to beta test, like, you know, on the roads with real users, you know, it's like, who's, yeah. who's even going to want to take that liability on? It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 I've been watching some of like Chuck Cook's videos mm -hmm. and I noticed today, I was watching them today and I noticed that it seems like there's a real measurable improvement on like the unprotected lefts and stuff and that the, it like accelerates into a lot of the turns. It's not perfect, yeah. but there's very noticeable improvements in this new version. But like you said, there's still a lot of things to work out, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think um, it's, I think aspirationally wide release happens this year, but more realistically, probably, you know, uh, first half of next year. Um, I know it's not what people want to hear. You know, they want the... I'd uh, be happy with her first half of next year. Yeah, be, they want it now, good. but yeah. the reality is like, man, you don't... I, I don't think you want it decently enough, you know, where it's like people yeah. get a decent experience from it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, Tim uh, from Twitter says, if you had to buy a non-Tesla EV, what would, what would it be and why? Hmm... If I had to buy a non-Tesla EV, I don't know. I mean, right now it might be either like the 
the Ford uh, Mach-E or the Polestar, you know, those those are two that are available to, to purchase that seem not terrible. You know, they seem like they're better than most ICE cars out there. And you have kind of a service network a little bit with both, I guess, you know, so that's probably what I would do. Do you, you have any thoughts on which ones you would buy or yeah, which, which I mean, EV? If there was no Tesla, I think I would just buy like probably the best IC car, maybe a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> just go to the gas stations again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, big, I I mean it's long distance travel. Like I'm like, I don't want to mess with like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a tough one, man. Um, let's go. Um, uh, Aristotle says on Twitter, other, any other growth companies, which are candidates for 10 X in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, we talked about a couple, whether it's like Palantir or lemonade, you know, those are a couple we talked about. Um, I talk about Roblox a lot, you know, um, their earnings is tomorrow excited. Uh, but that could go either way for the next one or two years. And, and there's no guarantee that they're going to they could fail, you know, but I just think the upside potential is there too for them to be 10 X in five years or three years even. So, um, but that's risky because they could, you know, not fail. I think they'd still be around, but their market cap could be cut and cut by 80% if it becomes apparent that they're not really growing at the rate they, that I'm hoping they will. So, um, there, there's a lot of companies out there that could 10 X over the next 10 years. A lot of these bio, uh, mm-hmm. Pharmaceutical companies or, or you know, the the gene editing companies. I don't know much about that space. So many people excited about that space. I talk up so many names, but uh, I personally am not an expert on the gene editing stuff. But uh, I would love to be. I just don't have enough time in the day. Um, mm-hmm. That's my thought. There's a lot out there. A lot of great companies out there. Tesla, I think, will be a 10x in in 10 years too. Um, that's a more safe bet for in my mind and why I'm keeping yeah. the vast majority of my personal wealth in Tesla. Yeah. I, I mean, what I, do you agree. Think, Dave? I think there are actually a lot of possibilities um, that I think actually have, have great chances of 10 xing Like um, the question is the whole, like, like safety and risk, you know, like what are the mm-hmm. chances and what if they fail to execute? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think with Tesla, the chances of them failing to execute are there. They grow, they grow, lower and lower lower over time you know because so much of the stuff is ready in motion you know with yes with batteries and with fsd and with the new models and all this stuff um the risk is getting lower um but yeah i think um definitely um um definitely possibilities um with like palantir we shared with lemonade um i wouldn't be surprised if coinbase 10x is um in the next 10 years, I wouldn't be surprised actually if Robinhood 10X, if they execute in the right way, they need to continue mm. to grow and grow their services basically. So they move yeah. from just a brokerage into more of a bank-ish model, you know? And they, yeah, like Square pr- has proven like, not just Square, but other places. Like if you have the customers and you offer ancillary products and services like banking products, like you offer loans and credit cards and all this other stuff, like you, you, you can actually have a, a tremendous amount of revenue per user. Yeah. Um, yeah. Robinhood, I was so surprised mm-hmm. that the market's giving it such a high valuation. It's like 30 yeah. something billion. Like if I was them, I would try to raise 5 billion capital in right now, like as soon as possible. So really tighten up their balance sheet and start developing, you know, because right now they have negative capital. I think they're in debt, ne- you know, total, you know, they're, I shared a metric of uh, Robinhood versus interactive brokers in so many yeah. ways. And 
it just seemed like, wow, I can't believe Robinhood's going to be given such a hefty valuation. And the market, you know, it, it went up, you know, what, 50% or, or more since the IPO. And, uh, you know, if they raise money at these prices, if they raise some a few billion on their balance sheet to be positive and like really do stuff smart from there, they could really be a 10xer, I think, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Coinbase, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of unexpected, like they, they had killer earnings and they, sh they should be higher, um, but they should be, but the market's not, you know, what should be doesn't always happen. And I think there's a lot of um, uncertainty in their future prediction, predictable, like revenues, right? And and yeah. so some people are just not sure how to value that. And so they're not willing to pay for it at, at yeah. these multiples. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, Coinbase has some challenges. I think they got, I think their revenues like, like, out of like two billion, like one point eight billion or so was off of retail trading transactions. Um, yeah, and then their uh, operating expenses have grown a lot. I think it's like one point three yeah. billion. Um, so yeah, they're gonna have to prove themselves. You know that they are like a legit kind of, you know, um, kind of generational company in the sense that they can withstand. Yeah. You know, like a whole decade of ups and downs and 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 survive as kind of like this you know big kind of winner in the space for sure yeah i mean they're really big in the u.s but then the outside of the u.s you have that exchange ftx that just raised money at like an 18 billion valuation mm -hmm. which is like 10 times higher than it was and that's led by this guy sam bank friedman i think is his name or something and he's one of those guys that i just feel like is the crypto genius of like the crypto brokerage world, you know, this guy and, and, uh, not that the founders of Coinbase aren't, but this guy's done special things at FTX already, you know, like, and they're not allowed to operate in the U S so they don't have the licenses or U S investors aren't allowed to use them or one, one of those things. But for outside of the U S they seem to be the, the top runner, but inside the U S Coinbase, but do those worlds mesh at some point, given it's crypto, I don't know. Um, yeah. and, and then if they mesh who wins, right. Yeah. Um, who's going to be the dominant, crypto exchange in the world at that point uh yeah. we'll see yeah yeah binance is the number one i think binance yeah, too around yeah the world, for sure it's a, it's a big one too. um uh peloton is kind of like you know when i look at their finances i'm like yeah they're one of these companies that have switched to kind of positive ebitda and they have fast growth um yeah the question with peloton um is this whole question of um, I think if they continue to grow, like do what they do, they will. I think. I mean, um, uh, outpace the market, dominate their space. Yeah, but the, the whole question is like, the will they too? truly become like this beyond ten x like generational company? I think a lot of it depends on like how much they can kind of um, how much they can do things that others can't copy. And what I mean by like, mm -hmm. I was at Costco and. There's this exercise bike for like 380 bucks with one year subscription to the classes, like trying to copy Peloton, yeah. right? For with everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, sure, Peloton has a better brand, a better bike, better classes, but like, how much better is it? Like, what can Peloton do that others can't copy? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of like the app they have store, a huge, for example, network of like instructors and content. And, you know, they've done so much, but like, you know, my wife is a huge fan of the Pel. I've used it off and on once in a while, but we have one and she uses it. And there's like this one instructor she like loves. His name is Cody Rigsby. He's like really charismatic, you know, instructor. And her and all of her friends love this, or she loves working out with this guy, especially. And, He's very flamboyant and, uh, you know, he's 
I've written his list anyway, but if he moved to another platform, she would jump in a heartbeat. She's connected to him more than Peloton, you know, like yeah. because she only rides his rides. I wonder if there's a huge customer base that has like their favorite instructors they just have gravitated to. And then it will be at some point be like a play of like Apple building something out and just buying some of these top instructors to their thing. And it'll be like a, a content or, or like sort of like what you see in a little bit with like Joe Rogan moving to Spotify and yeah. whoever else, you know, content providers kind of being swayed by going to other places. I, I don't know if that's going to be a, a risk for them in the future too. Yeah, definitely. Um, KH says, what um, are the mega trends that you both think there's a big chance for investment and underrated by people? Hmm. Mega trends. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you think a bit. You start. Um, for yeah. me, the the biggest one is AI. Um, it's the question mark is how it's going to be. Like, so there's one kind of idea where AI is going to create a massive amount of efficiencies and value. Um, mm -hmm. Because imagine, like, if you had um, the brain power, not just the brain power, but let's say even the physical, you know, power of, you know two times the population or three times, it just exponentially is going up. What do you do with all that? You're creating more value, right, with that. So yeah. AI fundamentally changes the equation of value creation like in a way that's never been done before at this scale. Like technology has always done that in certain ways, but AI has the potential to like do it faster, I think, and more exponentially than ever before um, because it's dealing with a lot of the brain power um, eventually as it grows in the next decade. Um, the question though is who realizes that value? So let's say there's tons of value that's created, but where does that get realized? Like which companies, you know, actually like benefit from that? You know, where does the revenue and the profits and the margins flow through, right, um, for that? And to, that's the biggest kind of question mark, you know, do they flow through the big, you know, conglomerate tech companies like the Amazon and the Googles and the Facebooks, et cetera. Is there room for a new generation of kind of like startup AI related companies, you know, to make their own type of footprint? Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it, that's kind of like the, the opportunity I think that people aren't looking at because for a lot of people, it's like, I don't know, it just, it just seems there's like a tension, it seems so far off, maybe like it's hard to completely understand what's gonna happen and and um, yeah, but it, yeah. it's the most fascinating thing, you know, I can think of in terms of yeah. megatrends um, personally. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, I still have a hard time under, like maybe I've just been exposed to too much kind of like, like bunk with the buzzword AI. You know, I went to an AI, like a, AI conference, I remember like three or four, four years, three or four years ago for my work. And it was like, it wasn't even like a financial conference. It was an AI conference, but I got sent there and it was in San Francisco. And I was like, oh, this will be cool. And I went there and it was like every company at every, you know, every company you can think of and all these old startups and all these companies I haven't heard of are saying, we're an AI company. We're an AI company. I'm like going to all these booths and be like, what do you do? What do you do? And it's like, it just sounds like technology to me. Like, oh, we do this with big data or we do this. You know, but so when people say AI, it's like hard for me to decipher, like, what, what do they mean by that? Like, to me, it just means like technology. But, you know, to be more specific, I think neural networks will be a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, and big data has been around for a long time, but maybe Palantir is kind of cracking the code in some way that others haven't. But the concept of big data has been around and the concept yeah. of neural networks has been around. But now I feel like it's being applied, as we can see with Tesla's vision, for example, or um, so 
AI is definitely a trend for sure. But to me, like that word, I just have a hard time with that word just or that acronym because I'm like, it can mean so many things. It's like a, it's like a separate entity that's trying to, you know, augment our own personalities or, or what, what is it like? So I guess when you say like, AI, are you talking about like neural networks or big data or out, algorithmic stuff or what? Yeah. What, I mean, what, it's, it's mostly, um, neural nets and that, okay. So what's it's, the combination of, so you've got these neural nets, right? And mm -hmm. they're doing, um, right now the two biggest applications of kind of neural nets is mostly in language and with vision. Um, mm -hmm. But, and um, what's happening is these neural nets are growing in complexity and size of how big the actual architecture is. And, mm -hmm it's requiring like extra compute power that we don't have. So it's this constant thing of like, it's pushing the envelopes. Like if there could be a thousand times compute power, like mm -hmm. neural nets would use it all up. Like the, the people on the cutting edge, like need that right now, like mm. thousand, 10,000, 100,000 times. Like they're really hungry yeah. for that compute power because you know, it's, it's been shown the, the bigger your neural nets are, the more effective or the better the performance are. Um, but you need that compute power to train them. And then the flip side yeah. is you need the data and you, you need the right data that's valuable data, right? To feed these neural nets that give the ultimate value to the end person. And so you could be the smartest AI company, but if you don't have the data, it's like, you know, what do you have? You know, you just have these neural yeah. nets not doing much, right? And yeah. that's why I'm like, like certain things I'm like less impressed with. Like, for example, I know DeepMind supposedly has the best, you know, bar none AI team in the world, but a lot of the things they're doing, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, okay, I have to qualify this. Like with AlphaFold and the protein folding, yeah. that's, that's amazing. Um, but like some of the stuff with like playing video games and stuff, I mean, that's cool and stuff. But that data that you're accessing to play video games, it just it's just a video game. You just need to run the video yeah. game. It's you're not getting like special data per se, you know. Um, so I mean, Google on the other hand, like they take the technologies and Google's trying to take more and more AI stuff from their Google Brain and DeepMind, all this stuff to implement with their own data to to do stuff, you know. I mean, ultimately that's valuable when you combine it with these you combine it with the, this valuable data. So that's yeah. the question to me is kind of like, who's using neural nets in massive ways? And then who's has the access to the most valuable data, right? To make use of that, to end up kind of creating, you know, the, the crazy efficiency gains, productivity gains and value gains, right? That in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like ByteDance has sort of figured something out with TikTok yeah, using yeah. some kind of algorithms they've kind of created to zero in on what people really want to watch. And, you know, I remember there, like Facebook, you know, videos did that to some degree uh, as well, but not to the success date. ByteDance has done it with TikTok, obviously. And then, um, you know, like Facebook advertising, I've always been kind of impressed that they somehow have the best, for me, at least, and other people I talk to, it seems like, you know, even though I don't use Facebook often, once in a while I check in to like, you know, post an updated picture to my family or whatever, or what other people are posting. But sometimes I'll see an advertisement when I do, it's usually, it's like half the time something like, wow, that's really interesting. You know, like almost never do I see advertisements that I find interesting, but somehow Facebook yeah. has some algorithm that I don't know, somehow hasn't figured out things I like to, I'm curious about or interested in, uh, you know, so there is, there is certain AI 
or algorithmic big data use cases with neural networks and such that are really coming to you know to, to fruition it seems and another mega trend um i was just thinking when you're talking also is i think you know i don't know how to really i mean there's companies you can invest but i think homeschooling um is sort of a mega trend that's still in early days you know i think um just the whole education is going to be kind of turned upside down in many ways colleges you know yeah. um and homeschooling parents are going to want to more and more you know school their kids at home through fancy youtube uh stuff and and uh you know they'll still want to socialize and get you know socially networked for their kids but i think the education aspect they'll want to have maybe more control of in the future what yeah. are your thoughts yeah, on that definitely and the homeschooling is um, big and great did you watch them um, so open ai they just came out with this thing called open ai um, codex and so i saw some saw something about that i didn't yeah. quite dive into it enough but it's basically you can type your words in and it codes it for you or something exactly so you go like you know um uh, draw a square, you know, and a draw a square, make it smaller, make, make it smaller, fill it in with blue, it fills in with blue, make it bounce around the whole screen, it bounces mm -hmm. around, put a person in the corner, whatever, have the person avoid the, 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 the screen, the, the, the square as it bounces around. Yeah. If it, if the person yeah. hits the ball, then game over or something, you know, like you yeah. can actually just type that and it'll create the code. And you actually can see yeah. the code and use it, right? Um, so they have this uh, crazy, like, 30-minute demo nice. on, their, on their site. And they say it, it can kind of solve about 37% of programming kind of tasks right now. Um, okay. They they're opened it up for kind of uh, weightless beta. But, yeah, I was, like, uh, telling this to my six-year-old son. And he was, like, he was just, like, his eyes just wide, like, wide, just went <laughs> wide open. Like, he's, like, oh, my yeah. gosh, I need that. <laughs> Um, but I was thinking, yeah, like, um, yeah, I was actually thinking of a, of a, of a business idea to like kind of use Codex to, um, have kids code with it, but then show other kids how they're coding. Like meaning like mm. if a kid codes a game, then other kids can go into a video or some the steps on how that kid coded that with Codex. So they can, because mm -hmm. a lot of it is like how you say the words and what you yeah. do. You don't know how to, what the, what codex can do until someone shows you what it could do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But something like that, you, you, you mash it up where you have like thousands and thousands of these projects that kids post yeah. that they created with codex and other kids can go in and learn how they did it and remix it or whatever. Replicate it or. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, customize it. It, it can be beyond kids, but definitely, you know, something that if there's anyone listening who wants to help me with that, <laughs> reach out to me. Um, but yeah, um, definitely. I think that's cool. Like, um, and it's a mix with, with, with homeschooling too, because a lot of the kids with homeschooling have more time on their hands. Um, yeah. Kids want, or parents want this, like, you know, uh, self-directed self kind of training, teaching and codex could be awesome. Right. You have your kids just programming all this crazy stuff, right? I mean, that's yeah. awesome. Like with the most cutting edge AI programming yeah. tools, like what's, what yeah. better way to like, you know, um, spend your time uh, as a homeschooling kid. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it sounds really exciting. I, I want to dive into the Codex thing more uh, to be, but I haven't watched the demo. I should watch that yeah. first. Yeah, demo is awesome. Um, uh, one other mega trend I've been thinking about lately is uh, mega brands. So this whole mm. idea of kind of, and, you know, uh, companies starting small, but growing kind of a brand, maybe not technology wise per se, but just a brand that's like loved. Um, 
Yeah, I'm I'm going to be interviewing this one guy who kind of like, you know, he, so I put out this one tweet. It was, I'm looking for people who've done like, you know, over, um, um, I, I think it was 20 years. I wanted something like, you know, some crazy annual growth rate of like 26% or something or more, you know, okay. over a 20 year period. So wow. that's basically yeah. like a hundred X, right. Or more. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. um, only a couple, couple people like qualified, you know, um, like, mm. um, but one person he contacted me and he says he qualifies and he's been investing kind of with this whole mega brand kind of ideology, like trying to go for these mm. brands, not necessarily tech, technology, early before they're, yeah, you know, before they're big. Yeah. Early. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Interesting stuff. I'm, Sort of like sort of what that guy Chris Camillo does a little bit exactly, of his social yeah. art investing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kind of like, you know, like it doesn't have to be tech, high tech, you know, it could be just yeah. whatever, like Crocs. It could be Crocs. Yeah. Everyone's wearing Crocs. Yeah. So let's invest in Crocs. Exactly. Or, um, yeah, definitely. But the, the, the mega trend behind that is you have these brands who are able to leverage social opinion and trends, you know, more than mm -hmm. others and they also have a global footprint and so if you can create this like hot brand right it, it could be like huge in a sense you know yeah you grow that yeah, yeah i think you also need like some inherent um amazing product or service to kind of launch the brand with initially mm -hmm. so maybe people who don't understand the shoe space very well they didn't know Crocs are really cool shoe and you can't really easily get that type of thing elsewhere. But once they saw the brand, they're like, Oh, I'll just invest in the brand. And they got the benefit of investing in the company with the best shoe that, you know, it was kind of a first mover advantage in that type of utility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. I've got one more question, but it's, um, um, it's, about uh, from K Money he says, I'm expecting my first child at the end of the September. What are your top tips for a first time dad? What I'm going to do is um, mm. I'm going to wrap up this video. And what I want to do is um, I'll ask you that question on a separate video. I'm going to stick it on my parenting okay. channel and I'll link to my parents channel. That way we can kind of be more free to talk about, you know, whatever um, for a bit longer um, answering cool. this question. But yeah, want to wrap up um, um, anything else going on um, for you? Yeah. No, I mean, just, uh, you know, hoping the, uh, second, the, the rest of, uh, 2021, um, you know, isn't as, uh, isn't as volatile for these kind of growth and tech stocks, Tesla included, obviously, uh, as it was in, you know, parts of the first half of 2021. So I think, uh, there's a nice setup hopefully for the rest of the year and, and next several months to, um, for the, for the kind of these the, uh, melt up again of the kind of growth tech stocks, you yeah. know, cause they've had some impressive earnings reports and, you know, everyone's kind of reformatting their, their, you know, their thesis on them. So that's my hope, but, um, anything can happen. Interest rates are still low and they'll stay low indefinitely. In my opinion, inflation's kind of in check, you know, what do you, what do you think? Anything else you want to say? Yeah, no, I think that's, um, yeah all interesting this week i'm excited about ai day um thursday yes. um i think oh, that's man. a big one um yeah um and uh there's always surprises you know especially with stuff like yeah. this so yeah i can't yeah. wait for that um yeah. but yeah um also um i'll go ahead and link to your twitter account and your yep. good soil youtube channel every is it tuesday cool. morning you're doing a live stream with matt is it 
Yeah, every okay. Tuesday morning we do a live stream at uh, 9.30 Pacific time. So okay. it's about an hour. We talk macro markets for the first 10 or 15 minutes and then Tesla stuff and question and answers. And we may, be, we may try to do like a series of interviews in the fall, you know, once uh, a week or something, um, but we'll see. Awesome, yeah, yeah. That'll be a little um, different. Yeah, so uh, yeah, fun time. I've been watching um, actually your shows as well. So yeah. Oh, thanks. Them. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. You're just yeah. watching them at two, two X speed. Probably we're a little slow talk. I'm a slow talker. Yeah. I watch Sorry. everything. Yeah. Even my own videos sometimes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, I try yeah. to listen to your videos at two X, but you talk extra fast, even normal. I can't quite, <laughs> sometimes I can't I have to listen at one and a half. For, yeah. Uh, for your awesome. Okay. Take care of it. And, um, yeah, thanks for joining everyone. We'll see you guys later. Sounds good. Okay. Okay. Bye.